0: For those of you that are note-takers, I tend to start with kind of a, a main idea. what is kind of something that's all-encompassing what we're talking about today. And so here it is. Serving people in everyday life opens up opportunities for us to show others the goodness and grace of Jesus in tangible ways. So we're, t- we're in this series talking about sharing Jesus with others. We're talking about ways that we can take our faith and, and, and give it to other people, that we can show other people or teach other people share Jesus with other people. And one of those ways is very simple that we can serve in our community. Now, if you've been around this church for any amount of time, we have served our cities uh, intentionally and strategically. We serve the city of Los Alamitos. We will continue to do so. We are then now connecting to the city of Cerritos. We'll be plugging into the city of Cerritos as well. And, and the reason that we do that, and, and let me just let me put a pin in that and I'll get back to the reason, but we do that with distinction too. We do that in, in, in this sense. When we go and serve, we actually go and serve. And I know that might sound completely crazy, like that's a no-brainer, but a lot of churches, when they go and they serve in a maybe a, a, a spring carnivore or an, you know, an egg hunt or a Christmas thing or something like that, and they go and they serve their city, a lot of times what happens is most of the people spend their time trying to invite people to their church and not really serving the community. And we just started early on just saying, okay, God has called us. And we love that, that verse out of Jeremiah that says, Uh, to uh, seek the welfare of the people and pray for them. For in their welfare, in their city's welfare, you will find your welfare. In other words, as we serve our city, as we invest in the good of our city, that in that we will find our good. We will find our place as we get to serve our city. And so now the reason we do that is that we would be able to make relationships, build relationships, make friends in the city that eventually we'd be able to share Jesus with them, right? And we've all, especially those of us that that served the city of Los Al for the last two and a half years, we've been in those places where they just look at us and say, why do you guys do all this? Why do you guys serve us? Why do you guys come or why do you guys give or why do you bring people? What do you do? Why, Why is this so important to you? And we get to tell them about the goodness and the grace that we have found in Jesus and that that's why we believe that we serve our city is that we want to give that away as well and so serving people is a way of creating opportunity for you to share jesus share your faith them. that could be something corporate and large like serving the city of Los losau it can be helping your neighbor your neighbor moves for example like brandon said because he has a truck he gets asked to help move a lot um i should have thought of that when we moved right so so uh april's saying no no don't do that so whether it's helping your neighbor, whether you see, you know, maybe you live next to a single mom and you see the yard's getting overgrown and, you know, she's just going crazy with kids and doesn't have, you know, enough hours in the day to do what she needs to do. And You can just help, right? Whatever it might be, big scale, little scale, doesn't matter, that serving people gives us opportunity. It opens up doors for us to share Jesus with others. So I want to walk back through this passage. We're going to back up just a few verses. So Mark 6 Starting in verse 30, let's, let's pray first, and we will get to the message. Jesus, we love you. We thank you um, again. Lord, we want to hear from you. It's not my words that do anything. My words have no power, Jesus. It's your words. So let me fade into the background, and Jesus, would you speak? Would you come and speak to us? We are your church. We want to hear your voice. We need to hear from you, be instructed by you, by taught, be taught by you, be corrected by you if need be be encouraged by you. And then Jesus, we need to be sent out by you into our neighborhoods, our communities, to our families, to our workplaces, our schools. So Jesus, would you do that today? In your name we pray. Amen. Mark 6, starting in verse 30, says this, the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. So here's where we are. We're picking up in the middle of a gospel, or at least a about a third of the way in, and Jesus has been teaching his disciples. He's spent a lot of time with his disciples. He's brought them to very public things that he did where he's healed people, where he's performed miracles, where he's taught crowds. He's been bringing them along. He's been discipling them or making students of them. That's what that word means. And he's been teaching them what he would have them to do, And, 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 and in essence, what we should be doing as disciples of Jesus, as students of Jesus, how we should live. And so Jesus is handing this off to his 12 disciples, who will then go on to make disciples, who then make disciples, who make disciples, and all the way fast forward 2,000 years to us. So when we see this, what we see is Jesus teaching people to do what he expects us to to do, right? So this is how he's doing, and this is what he's called us to, if you guys are familiar with any kind of discipleship, of any kind, where, where you get poured into by someone who's been a Christian longer than you, basically, that they would you know, just kind of teach you about the faith, teach you about the teachings of Jesus, teach you about the Bible. That's what Jesus is doing. He's just teaching his disciples. And every once in a while, he'll teach them something. Then he sends them out, and he tends to pair them up two by two, send them out to do what he's been teaching them to do. So it's kind of lecture lab, right? He's been teaching them. Now they're going to go try and put that out there. They're going to go try and do what he has said. And in this case, they were to go out and they were to pray for people for healing And they have done so, they've returned, they begin to debrief with Jesus, and here's where we pick up the story. And it says they returned to Jesus and told uh, him all that they had done and taught. And so they're coming back, and what what they're saying is, listen, here's what we've done. We've done as you have told us to do. And so I just want to start out with this place of the disciples are in this place of obedience, right, where they have done what Jesus has called them to do. Now, that doesn't make them superheroes or perfect people or Christians that never fall short because we're going to just see in a minute that they don't really always have that kind of faith. And if you just continue to read the Gospels, they make huge mistakes and just super simple human errors, right? Just like we do. But right now, they're coming back, and they have done what Jesus told them to do. They're coming back, and they meet with Jesus. Verse 31. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place," place, now I can't talk, and rest a while. For many were coming and going, for they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in a boat to a desolate place by themselves. So it's been a busy season of ministry for them. And so what Jesus does is he pulls them away to get alone with them. So when we talk about serving people, We talk about being those who take the gospel to other people. There's something important to understand. That really that flows from a place of us knowing Jesus first. So if you're a note taker, let me give it to you this way. Just as the disciples needed to spend time with Jesus before serving others, we too need time with Jesus. We get burned out when we miss this and we become ineffective to those we serve. Now with that in place, with that idea, with that note on the board, let me just say this. So that doesn't mean that we should get to a place where we burn out and we should take a break from ministry. Now, that's a common thing that we hear, like, oh, I'm going to take a break. I'm going to rest from ministry. What that says is we need to spend time with Jesus, not stop doing what he's called us to do. Yes. Does that make sense? Yes. And I know that there are different seasons of life. There are times, and I, and I use this example quite a bit, there, there are times when people will come to the church and they're not working, or school's out, or maybe you're out for the summer, and, and then for three months, maybe you're a, a, a student. And you've got these three months off, and you just do everything with the church. And I get that that's a season, right? That then school starts again, you have to go back to school. right? Or you're single, you don't own a home, you're not married, you don't have kids. You can give a lot of different things to the church that maybe you can't when you're married, when you have kids, when you got a house payment to make, or whatever it is you need to do, right? So I get that there are seasons. But there isn't seasons to what Jesus calls us to do. Is that fair? There's not seasons to serving. There's not seasons to sharing your faith. That's something we're all called to do all the time. It doesn't mean we have to spend 24 hours a day doing it. But that's something that doesn't cease. Does that make sense? And so when we talk about this, when we we say just as the disciples needed to spend time with Jesus before serving others, we too need time with Jesus. We get burned out, when we miss this, we become ineffective for those we serve. So again, maybe in your day, does your day begin with time with Jesus, right? Does your day start out where you're in the word or you're in prayer, you're spending time with Jesus? That's different than taking a break from serving and saying, well really, I need to carve out some space for Jesus first. Does that make sense? All right, verse 33. Now many saw them, meaning the disciples and Jesus, going and recognized them. And there they ran on foot from all the towns and they got there ahead of them. So there's a, there's a reputation that Jesus has, Jesus and his disciples, but primarily it's the reputation of Jesus. So when Jesus goes from town to town, there's a buzz about Jesus. Now it's different, but imagine today when things are taking place and social media blows up, right? Things trend on Twitter, things go, are happening on Facebook, you get those little notifications, hey, I've got 12 friends that are interested in something in your area, one of those things, Right? There's, a, there's The word is out on what's going around. Now, this is more word of mouth. As people are traveling, they're talking about this Jesus. They're talking about this man who heals people, does miracles, teaches people. When he speaks, it's unique. He speaks like with the authority of God, and yet somehow he speaks right to the heart of people. So there's a reputation for Jesus that is preceding him. And as he goes into a community, people are racing ahead to get there. So as Jesus has pulled away for a quiet night with his disciples and rested, and they move into a city, people are getting there ahead of him because they want to hear from him. And something I found about sharing Jesus with others is Christianity doesn't have the greatest reputation. Is that fair? Yeah. Right? Oh, they're too political. They, you know, either way, it doesn't matter which side people think they're on. It doesn't, none of that really matters, but they're too this, they're too that. They're hypocritical. They're this, they're that. They don't like this person, they don't like that thing, or whatever it is. But Jesus actually has a pretty good reputation amongst the community, amongst society today. A lot of people say, well, I don't really like Christianity, but if you ask them questions about Jesus, there's nothing wrong with Jesus. Does that make sense? The reputation Jesus has is different than the reputation we have as his followers. And that may not be us in this room, maybe it is, but Jesus has a pretty good reputation. And when people read the words of Jesus, they're drawn to Jesus. And that's what's taking place in this, in this community, in this city that he's going into, is Jesus has that kind of reputation. And that's why we don't call this like sharing Christianity with other people. We're not trying to make people, quote, unquote, Christians. Really, what we want to see is them become followers of Jesus, right? The word Christian has a lot of baggage to it. Not that it's a bad term. It's, it really literally means follower of Jesus, But when you hear Christian, you think so many things. Well, really, it's just simpler to focus on Jesus. Who is Jesus? uh, Sharing Jesus with other people. Jesus has a fairly good reputation. Verse 34, when he, meaning Jesus, went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. So compassion is a character trait that Jesus is known for, and I would say this, if that is true, and it just said it, so of course we're going to believe it's true, and if in the stories that we see, when we see Jesus, as this story even plays out today, we're going to see Jesus being compassionate. So if compassion is a character trait that Jesus has, what are the chances that compassion is a character trait we should have? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So we should be compassionate people. Jesus is a compassionate Jesus. But now note that Jesus is also teaching. And so when we started this series, I said we're going to spend five weeks talking about sharing Jesus with other people, right? And the normal, the number one response, the most common response we get, or I get, or Christians tend to get, this is more national, is that people don't feel comfortable sharing their faith because they don't know enough Bible, that seems to be the number one response, and fear of rejection is a close second, but the one we can do something about is knowing the Bible, right? Amen. Yes. So five weeks, only four of, them, or four of these messages have nothing really to do with going straight to Scripture and sharing Jesus from Scripture. Not that that's not important. Right? We talked about sharing our story, how we came to faith. We talked about loving people that are in need and caring for them and, and sacrificially Giving to them, caring for them, right? We're talking about serving them. Next week, we'll talk about healing. And then fifth, the fifth week, we're talking about sharing the gospel directly from scripture. So in five weeks, four messages that you don't even have to open your Bible to do. Is that fair? But notice that Jesus, in the midst of this, is teaching the people. He is proclaiming the gospel. And so just understand, no matter where you are, whether you're sharing your story, you're serving people, or whatever you're doing, understand the gospel does eventually need to be proclaimed. Amen. Right? That the gospel is not an experience. The gospel is a message. Right? Gospel literally translates as good news. The good news of Jesus. And so we need to be in a place where we can proclaim the gospel. But again, it's not like we have to go up and meet somebody for the first time, just a stranger, and go right to the Bible and start working through the Bible and somehow convincing them that they need Jesus. Fair enough? That we would serve people, love people, share our story with people, that we would do these things so that we open up opportunities and when we get that opportunity, we're prepared to share our faith, to share the gospel, and if necessary, even. Break out the Bible and say, okay, this is what I believe. Or search the scriptures with people. So proclaiming the gospel. Jesus is engaged in proclaiming the gospel. Serving, loving people, and sharing your story are all great. But they don't eliminate the need for proclaiming the gospel. Verse 35. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. So this is a normal reaction. It's getting late, Jesus, and the people haven't eaten. We've been here for hours, and it's getting dark. Jesus, we should send them away. I love now. Bear in mind from the outside we pick this story apart, right? I love that the disciples are giving advice to Jesus. It's funny, right? To be fair, it's it's funny. But imagine you're living and walking and talking and resting and, and hanging out and laughing and playing all this with Jesus. And you know there's something special about Jesus, but the disciples, this is early in Jesus' three years of ministry. And the disciples really haven't understood that this is God in the flesh who's going to die on a cross to satisfy all the penalty of sin and then raise from the dead three days later. right? They haven't quite gotten the hang of that yet. And even when they see it, they wrestle to understand it. As would we. If we watch someone die and then come back to life, believe me, we would struggle to try and figure out how it applies to us. So they're early in this. And so I love that they're giving Jesus advice, like, hey, it's getting late. He's like, I know, I made the sun. Did we rotate around? I did that, right? Okay, we should send the people away because they're getting hungry, right? Which is code word for Peter saying, I'm really hungry, right? Okay, what we see is very normal, very human, Jesus sees as an opportunity, right? Jesus sees in this an opportunity to teach his disciples something that he wants them to understand. Verse 37, but he, meaning Jesus, answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? Denarius is a coin. It's a silver coin worth about 10 mules. I won't give you the real word it said when I looked it up, but you get the point, right? Okay, so 10 denarius, so the, 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 the deca part of Roman, right? That's 10. So it's worth 10 animals, and this is 200 denarii. When you pluralize us, it becomes I, right? So if you drive a Prius and you have a friend, you guys have Prii. okay? Just throwing that out there. little Latin lesson for everybody, all right? So really, we got something worth about 2,000 animals. Now, I know you and I don't buy and sell mules often, right? And so I get, but you can get that 2,000 of them probably cost quite a bit. And here's their point, and I think there's a bit of sarcasm in it. Like, what are we supposed to do? Like go into town and buy, like something worth 2,000 animals? That's what they're saying, right? Because they said, listen, it's getting late, The people are getting hungry, which is code word for like, I'm hungry, they've got to be hungry, right? So let's send everybody away. And he says, no, you give them something to eat and their question's very normal. Like, I don't see a way that we can do this. What are we supposed to do? Go out and buy, you know, a ton of food, right? What are we supposed to do? Take all this, like we don't even have that kind of money. How would we go and do that? What I want you to see is they're a little bit trapped by their circumstance, right? they don't see the way to do what he's calling them to do. Verse 38, And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said five and two fish. So another gospel tells us a little different detail about this story than this gospel does. The gospel of John says this. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. What are they for so many. So, same idea. One of the disciples literally says, Here's what we've got. we got this little boy's lunch, like these little rolls. Think like mini muffin, the little tiny rolls, right? And these two fish, like think almost like sardines, is what we're talking about. Like, this is a pretty modest meal for a little boy. Little boys got it. And Andrew, Peter's brother, says, Listen, all we've got is this little boy's lunch. How's that gonna help? Now, again, It's easy to look with 2,000 years of critique and say, well, clearly Jesus is going to do a miracle, right? Well, that's because we've read it before. Well, put yourself in the setting, right? How am I supposed to do this? Like, you're asking me to do something that makes no sense. Like, I don't even know how we're supposed to do this. Well, what do we have? Five loaves, five little things, two small fish. Basically, here's their answer. We have a little boy's lunch. He has his lunch. Here's what we've got. That's it. In essence, they're saying, we can't do what you just asked us to do. We don't have what it takes. I wanna read that again, verse 38, and he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see, and when they found out, they said five and two fish. Here's a note for you. We should not be limited by our abilities. When we set out to serve others, and the pressure of them meeting Jesus doesn't rest on our skills or abilities. Like the little boys, sorry about the typo, the little boys lunch, we just bring what we have to Jesus. There's a rapper. He wasn't very good. He never made it very far. He sounded a lot like Eminem, but he was a Christian. His name was KJ52. Whether you are old and know who that is like me, that's great. Um, He wasn't really good, but I remember listening to him and there was a song. I mean, he wasn't bad, but he never went. It's not like Lecrae or something like that that actually made money and got big, right? But I was listening to him. There's a song that he does about his name, his name's KJ52, and KJ is, happens to be his initials, but 52 came from this. And he explains in this song that the reason for the 52 is he doesn't feel like he has much to give, but whatever he, ha- he has, he wants to give to Jesus, that Jesus could multiply and do something with it. So I can't stop when I see this, or hear this story, or read through this story, or we talk through this story, I can't miss these pretty profound lyrics in a rap song, which sounds like a contradiction in terms, anyhow, right? From a guy who never really made it very far. But I remember him just saying, I don't have much to give, but what I want to, I want to give everything to Jesus that he would multiply it and use it. That's where we should be when we serve, right? That it doesn't, this isn't built on my gifts or your abilities or our resources or whatever it is. This is in bringing whatever we have, bringing it to Jesus and letting Jesus multiply it and use it. Now, if you're familiar with the story, that makes sense. If you've never heard this story before, we're going to see how that works in just a second. But what we should be doing is never putting that pressure on us. Like, hey, it's all, like, if I can't do this, like, it'll never happen, or whatever. Like, we can't change anyone. Our job is to show up and willingly serve and bring whatever it is we have to the table. And then let Jesus take that, magnify that, multiply that, and use it. Verse 39, and when he had commanded them all to sit down in groups on the, on the green grass, so they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, he said a blessing, and he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. Jesus takes this little boy's lunch. Some willing disciples who are willing to kind of risk it. And what I mean by that is when you show up with a little boy's lunch and there's 12 of you, they're going to pass out stuff to groups of hundreds and fifties. Like, it takes a little faith to even step up there and pretend you know Jesus at this point, right? Like, I don't know how we're going to pull this off. Like, I, we don't have the ability to do this. But Jesus looks up to God, he blesses this, he begins to break it and hand it out. And he says, Now you go feed them. And what he gets is willing disciples. Servants that are willing to take whatever it is and let Jesus do what Jesus does with it. And so they begin to pass this food out. Verse 42, And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. There's some debate on the number of people there. And I think this is people have too much time on their hands to debate this. But... Yeah, oftentimes they only counted men. Okay, so that might mean 10,000 or 15,000 or 20,000 people. But even if it's 20,000 or 5,000, is that any more or less miraculous? Still one boy's lunch. And then there's more left over than when they started. And I think the idea is not how many because clearly it's a miraculous number that are fed right? So it doesn't matter if it's 1,000, 5,000, or 25,000. It really doesn't matter. It's all a lot for little boys' lunch. And when they're done, there's more left over than when they started. When we look to serving, again, when we serve from a place of we are already filled up by Jesus, and we take what we have and we give it all the way to Jesus, we come back and we have more than we began with. That's the point that we need not worry about, about giving away what we have because Jesus uses it and brings it back. The little boy got to eat, by the way, right? He's one of the ones who ate and was satisfied. And the disciples got to eat and were satisfied. And I love that that language around satisfaction because everybody, all of us really, we know we seek out satisfaction. People seek satisfaction in many things, often finding themselves empty. Satisfaction comes from Christ alone. By serving others, we offer them something they all desire. Every one of us is seeking satisfaction in something. I would say probably in many things. Probably all of us are seeking satisfaction in something wrong, for sure, right? Whether we're trying to be satisfied in our our job and find our our, our identity based on what we do or what we earn or having a family or owning a home or what we drive or what we ride or whatever, whatever this might be. We're trying to find that satisfaction buying the newest, latest, greatest technological thing or whatever it might be, right? But I'm sure you've been, and I'm sure you've thought through this, and I know you understand this. It's You go out and you get so pumped on the new iPhone, you go out and get it, and a week later, you're like, okay, well, that was all right. It wasn't worth the money, you know. Great camera, but I don't know, right? or they come out with another one, and now you're dissatisfied with the one you just bought, Apple's great at that, right? As soon as you get it, something else is better, like a month later. But I remember going through that cycle, and just a week later, you're like, oh, I'm not satisfied with this anymore. And I just remember finding just, okay, I'm trying to find satisfaction in some of the stupidest things, and I can only find satisfaction in Jesus serving people, we get to open up opportunity where we can give them, we can lead them right to the place where they can find satisfaction. When my head's not on those other things and I'm just focused on Jesus, I am deeply satisfied no matter where I am in my life. And we can offer that to people. Verse 45, and immediately his disciples, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, where he dismissed the crowd. I just want you to imagine this. There are crowds of people, thousands of people, 5,000 people for sure. And inside this group are some very broken people. If there's no way anytime you get together 5,000 people that there's not people in there that are utterly just broken, struggling, hurting, Going through marriage issues, going through child issues, going through, maybe there's, there are people in the room that can't have kids. And there are people that have experienced loss in their life. And there's just 5,000 people. There's no way you don't have broken people, struggling people, hurting people. And so I just want you to understand the crowds that surround themselves with Jesus. Imagine what is being drawn to, what the people that are being drawn to Jesus. And so he has to really leave. They're staying there. They're finding something in Jesus that they desire. So they literally have to leave. He sends the disciples on ahead. I'm going to read through a longer passage. Just, it's not the point for today, but I do not want to skip it. So verse 46, and after he'd taken leave of them, meaning the crowd and his disciples, he went up on the mountain to pray. So again, a note. Jesus serves out of this place of connectedness with God. Right? Jesus does what he can. This, this crowd of thousands of people, broken, needy people who are in need of him. How does he do that? How does he do that day in, day out, all the time, still discipling people, still feeding people, still performing miracles, still teaching people about God? He does that because he constantly breaks away to be with God. Yes. And so as he goes up a mountain to pray, send his disciples away, he leaves the crowd to get with God. And again, when we talk about serving, whether it's serving in the church, serving here on Sundays, serving in the community, serving your neighbor, whatever it is, that it, it really begins with, are we getting time with God? And the answer, if the answer is no, the answer is get time with God, not stop the other things, right? Like, be filled up with God first. Even Jesus, did, if Jesus had to do this, how much more do we have to? So it says, and after he'd taken leave them, and he went up on the mountain to pray... And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea, and he meant to pass them by. But when they—I love that line—and he meant to just go by them. But when he saw them walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost, and they cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, "Take heart! It is I. Do not be afraid." And when he got into the boat with them, the wind ceased and they were utterly astounded for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. So here's what happens. So Jesus literally walks on the water, right? So they're out in a boat, high seas, there's a storm, it's crashing on. It it is, uh, you know, a pain to the disciples who are in the boat. They're struggling to even get across this small body of water. And here comes Jesus walking on the water, scares the disciples to pieces. Now, if it was us, we'd be just as scared, right? Like there's a dude walking on the water, right? That just Let's just start there, right? And then he gets in the boat and the seas calm down. And I love that the thing that comes out is, and we still don't understand how we did the thing with the bread. Not how did he get here? How did he calm the wind down? How did he do that thing with the bread? That was amazing, right? We just spend all day on this story. But the idea is that they're still still trying to figure it out. I think that's probably a good place for us to understand we don't have all the answers. Just because we're loving other people intentionally for the sake of the gospel, just because we're serving other people because we want to share Jesus with them does not mean we have all the answers. Right? I do not have all the answers. I know we can go find the answers, but I don't have all the answers. And I just love this little glimpse into the disciples as they're just, he just walked on water to a boat and they're like, that bread thing though, right? Right? <laughs> You know, really, that is the gospel, though, that this broken, jacked-up world we live in, that that we are broken and jacked-up people that were sinful by nature, right? But that God becomes flesh, that Jesus enters into our story, and he does this in the midst of the turbulence in our life, if you will, and he does this in, in, in a miraculous way, and he engages in our life, and things begin to get right, if you will. That doesn't mean all the problems go away. Sometimes more problems happen. But he begins to settle things, settle the storms in our lives, redeem, heal, restore us. That doesn't mean we have all the answers. That means we just know where to go to get the answers, that we know we can go to Jesus for whatever it may be, that we know that we can surrender everything to Jesus because he is the one that calmed the storm. He is the one who feeds the multitude. He is God in the flesh. He is the one who died and rose again. So we don't have to have all the answers. We know how to, how, where to go or to whom to go. Who to go. I don't know how to say that in English. But who to go see to get the answers. That's what I was going to say. Verse 53. And when they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region. And began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. So note the response. Of people to Jesus. So literally imagine there's this lake, this big body of water, and they push out in the boat and Jesus goes up on a mountain to pray. They get to the other side. Somehow when they get to the other side, Jesus is also in the boat, but the crowds are seeking Jesus. The, cl- the crowds are looking for Jesus. And when he makes land on the other side, they begin to run and tell everybody, hey, Jesus, has, has, he's popped up over here. And everybody begins to bring people to him. Here's the outcome. People everywhere come out to Jesus because so many had been served by Jesus and the disciples in the past. Those who come out find healing and grace. They go rushing to him. They go bringing people to him. I want you to see this. So as Jesus goes through his disciples, his disciples care and serve the people. Then the people begin to follow Jesus, and then they begin to bring other people to Jesus. And it just continues out until 2,000 years later, here we are. But as Jesus is teaching them to serve and teaching them to care, this kind of brings us into next week when we talk about healing. People come to Jesus to be healed. Verse 56, And wherever he came, in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in marketplaces and implored him that they might even touch the fringe of his garment, and as many as touched it were made well. People come out. And are seeking to be healed by Jesus. So how do we serve? Who do we serve? What is it that we do to serve? There's, there's a really powerful verse. If you guys have ever done discipleship essentials with me or, or with some of the women, uh, there's this memory verse that you guys would all know. It's out of Matthew 25. It says, for I was hungry and you gave, this is Jesus speaking, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirst you and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of my brothers, you did it to me. Jesus is talking, he's teaching them a parable about sheep and goats, and we don't have to go into that right now, but he basically says this, that those who are his followers, those who are his sheep, that they have cared for him and given him food when he was hungry, drink when he was thirsty, et cetera, visited him when he was sick or in prison. And they look at him and say, like, when did we ever see you in need? He says, when you serve the least, when you serve the marginalized, when you serve the needy, when you serve the broken of our culture and community, you've served me. And he calls us and reminds us that when we serve others, it's really not about them in essence. Yes, we want to love them. Yes, Jesus has given us a love for other people because he loves them. But really what we're doing is it's not about them because we begin to then think about them. Well, I don't want to help them. I think they're doing drugs with this or I think they're doing this or I think they need a job or I think they're here legally or not. We begin to make it about them. But Jesus says, no, when you do this, you're serving me. And I love that because Jesus has done nothing wrong and we serve Jesus faithfully and consistently and perpetually. We serve Jesus. So I want to give you some closing thoughts, just some, some notes to take with you throughout the week. So who do you serve? Who are the people in your life that you can serve and care for that need to hear about Jesus? Do you prayerfully consider how you can represent Jesus to them? So when you're spending time with Jesus, when you're in your morning time or in evening or whenever you pray or spend time with jesus when you you have your time with god are you praying that god could use you that you can share jesus with other people who are those people are you beginning to pray for those folks right pastor mike at encounter uh, he has this thing that we developed this stuff years ago at a different church together but he has given out a card he said talks about one person in your family one person in your neighborhood, one person at your, uh, your work or whatever, and he goes through these five different people. He just asks everybody to identify five different people. And that would be my challenge is who do we identify? And if we are in school, who are the people at school? If we play on a sports team or, or whatever, go to a gym or whatever it is, who are the people around us that we are praying that God would use us to share Jesus with them and then how can we serve them? How can we care for them? How can we come alongside them and pray for them? Next, next slide, please. Do you limit yourself? Do you see your limitations in serving others as limited by your gifts or abilities? Jesus shows us that he is our power and he is not limited by our weakness. Right. This doesn't have to be something, if we're serving someone or loving someone or we are walking with our next door neighbor who is going through a divorce or is going through an addiction or whatever it might be, we don't have to be able to fix stuff like this. Because I'll just be honest with you, we can't most of the time. But Jesus can't. He is not limited and therefore our serving is not limited by our limitations or our abilities or lack thereof. That we can go confidently into that. Knowing that filled with Jesus' spirit, we are, we are capable to be used by Jesus. Next slide, Justine. Are you prepared to share your faith? If you were with someone today who didn't know Jesus, are you prepared to share the gospel on how you came to faith? And I don't mean you have to make some theological diatribe about the finer points of propitiation or something, right? I mean, can you just share your faith? Are you comfortable sharing Jesus with other people and how you came to faith? And what you understand about the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, are are you, you, if you were serving someone today and they said, why do you do this? And you said, well, because I believe that Jesus served me and, and came to me and loved me and he's called me to love you. And they said, so tell me about Jesus. Are you able to tell other people about Jesus in just its simplest way? And as it relates to your life, you don't have to know everything, but you need to know how Jesus entered your life. Last this, there's another verse. It says, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Are you able, are you ready to give an answer for the hope and the faith that you have? And can you do it with gentleness and respect? Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. You came to us in great strength, and yet you humbled yourself and became flesh. You came with great power and yet you were gentle. Jesus, you have come and you are God who is eternal, high and exalted, you are God who became flesh. And yet you came and you entered into our story, humble and frail, came in as a baby. And you have come alongside us and begun to heal us and restore us and then you called us to join you in your mission to reach other people. And one way you have called us to do that is by serving. And I pray that we would become servants of all people. That we would serve our church, yes. But that we would also serve those that you have called us to serve in the smallest and quietest of ways where you have called us to participate in other people's lives. That we would come alongside others. That they might know you. That they might see you through us. And Lord, we don't have to have it all together. We don't have to have all the answers or all the right things. But we can have this. We can have knowledge, the knowledge that you can use us. Like a little boy with five loaves and two, or five little rolls and two fish. That you can take whatever little bit that we bring and you can make it useful. That We don't have to have all the answers, Jesus, you do. That you can use us. And when our time comes and we are able to share you with others, may we share you with confidence, knowing that you can use even the little understanding we have of you. And that's all of us. We are finite beings and you are the infinite God. We share what we know and we trust you with the rest. Let us be those who serve others, Lord, that they might know you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.